Let me ask you a question. Uh, when is the last time you really celebrated, like got down? Like you were one of those pure, wonderful, unadulterated celebrations. You're just having a blast. I had one, uh, I guess it was just, just several weeks ago, a couple months ago, uh, it was at a, a wedding of a friend of mine, actually friends of a lot of you guys, Chris and Carly Campbell. Uh, Carly was singing in the band up here. I mean, their wedding was fun. I've been to a lot of weddings in my life. Uh, I did a quick tally the other day, and it's close to 50. Yeah, that's too many weddings. And so I've been doing some really in-depth research in, um, in, in all of the, the visiting to weddings I've been to. And here's what I've determined. The majority of weddings, the vast majority of them, are really, really boring. Like the vast majority of weddings, like everyone that's on stage thinks everything's really cute, but everyone on the outside is just like, man, he, that is the ninth song. Woo, yeah, we're good. And maybe that's just me because I'm petty. But, um, man, the, the Campbell's wedding was fun. It was a blast. And we were hanging out. And I remember the, the wedding itself was cool. It was sweet and all that. But, like, afterwards, we're hanging out. And uh, I got to be with a, a lot of my friends outside of Chris and Carly, even a lot, a lot of you. And, uh, and we, we just, there was, like, after party, food. It was great. There was a DJ playing songs. I'm dancing around like, man, I don't dance. You don't want to see this. But I'm getting down. And I'm thinking, here's what you need to know about me. Like, when 9 o'clock rolls around, I'm at home. Like, that's, that's me. I'm not out clubbing. I'm not, surprise, surprise. But I'm not out doing, like, 9 o'clock, I turn into a pumpkin. Like, I need to be reading a book or watching a football game or something. That's what I want to be doing. But, like, each song kept playing, and, like, it was getting later and later in the evening, and me and my wife were dancing, having fun. I'm like, what's that, one more song? Yeah, one more song. Like, 15 one more songs later, we're still there. When is the last time you really celebrated? Maybe for you it was when your, your team won a big game. Maybe, maybe that was for you. Uh, may, maybe for you it was, um, you know, I don't know, a quiet celebration because you sat down with a significant other and you celebrated five years of sobriety, you know? And you're like, yeah, that was good. I don't know what it was. We celebrate a lot of things. Celebration um, is a very human thing. The world is scary, but there's a lot to celebrate. And I think that's why we have parties and banners and cake, come on, cupcakes, um, and, and, and so many good things and, and parades and memorials and trophies because good things need to be remembered. Good things need to be celebrated. Uh, so today, I start with that idea because today we're wrapping up this teaching series called Vital Signs. And the whole idea of this series is for us to kind of get in sync with the heart of God. Like, what does it mean to check your spiritual vital signs? Are you alive? Are you breathing? Are you doing the thing God wants you to do with your life? We've had a, a really good discussion about several subjects in the last few weeks. Uh, but with this last one, it's pretty cool because if we want to be in sync with God's heart, it's really important to understand what makes God's heart tick. Like what gets him excited? Here's the question. What does God celebrate about? What does he get excited about? And if we can figure that out and we can get our hearts closer in sync with the heart of God, I think that's true. And here's the truth. We are not the only people who celebrate. In fact, there is something that God simply parties over. He celebrates like nothing else. We read about it in the Bible, and we're going to discover what that thing is in the New Testament in the book of Luke. And so if you've got a Bible today, I'd encourage you to grab it or flip it open on your phone and scroll down to the book of Luke uh, because we're going to re read a good chunk of that today. I want you to follow along and see it and underline stuff and make some application in your life. If you don't have a Bible today, uh, we give them away for free. We want to make sure you know that before you leave. Grab a Bible. There are some uh, spread along the floor under your chairs. We also have them back near the coffee. Take a Bible before you leave today. The They're free. Um, 
And it's also going to be on the screen behind me. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So if you want to go and flip over there, Luke chapter 15. The book of Luke is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. And so in this teaching from Luke, what we're going to see is something that Jesus comes across time and time again. Jesus has got this group of people who, we're talking about parties and celebration. There's this group of people who are, they're real party poopers. Like these guys are always up on Jesus' business and trying to get him to stop doing certain things. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Okay, and that means teacher. And so as a Jewish teacher, there were other Jewish teachers who looked at the ways that Jesus interacted with people, and they didn't approve. He had some unorthodox methods, and the people that he hung out with were, man, they didn't approve. And so there's this kind of thorn in Jesus' flesh, so to speak, where Jesus is trying to get some stuff done. He's got an, an agenda. He's got a motive. And there are these other people who are like, eh. You don't need to be doing that. That's what we're picking up, Luke chapter 15. And we're going to jump right in. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, right in the middle of one of those stories. It's kind of a short passage to get going, but stick with it because we're going to see that some serious tension has been built up. It says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man, he welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Now, it might not sound like these guys are real upset. It's a real short, it's a sentence, you know, it's, it's not much. But knowing the background and seeing the other stories, here's what you got to understand. These guys were upset. They were furious at Jesus because Jesus was spending time with people that they would consider eh, a bad reputation. In fact, what, what they would call these people is unclean. Unclean, how would you like to be called that by someone? Sorry, I can't hang out with you. You're unclean. I can imagine my daughter going to our neighbor's house. There's a little girl across the street likes to play with. Uh, my daddy said that I can't play with you anymore because you're unclean. Like, that's not cool, but that's how they referred to these people. Now, for a Jewish rabbi to be hanging out with the types of people Jesus were, the other teachers would look at Jesus and say, uh, that's just not how we do things. It's not how we do things, hanging out with those people. Now, Jesus wasn't just trying to be difficult. He wasn't trying to... Um, you know, really rustling feathers. As you might imagine, Jesus actually had a motive and a plan for what he was doing. He was very intentional about the people he spent his time with. He wanted to make sure that these religious leaders who would turn their nose up at him would be able to understand why he was doing what he was doing. And so as many times as, as Jesus uh, is confronted by these Pharisees, he always responds to them in some way. And I love the ways he responds to them. Each one of them is creative. Each one of them is kind of a zinger. But one of his most popular ways of, of, of responding to these critics is by telling a story. He's like, oh yeah? Oh yeah? Once upon a time. And he tells a story. These stories are called parables. A parable is a story that's told, uh, it's got like a heavenly meaning, but it's an earthly story. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning, a parable. And so what Jesus does, he sees these naysayers, these critics, these teachers of the law, who thinks that the people that he's hanging out with are not worthy of his time. And he goes, oh yeah? Let me tell you a story. And he does. In fact, he tells three stories. Let's look at the three stories. The first one is this. He says, then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he, doesn't he leave the 99 others in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home, and he calls to his friends and his neighbors, and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need 
to repent. So he's like, all right, let's do a little role play here, guys, teachers of the law. Let's pretend for a second that you're shepherds. You got a hundred sheep and you lose one. What are you going to do? I'm not a shepherd. Um, I've chased some goats before. That's the closest I've ever gotten to be a shepherd. And the big ones, they don't like that. They will chase you back. I just want to let you know. That's the public service announcement. I've never been a shepherd. My guess is that none of you are shepherds. Any shepherds here? Because you win today. Yeah, no, you're lying. So, yeah, no shepherds in the house. And here's the interesting thing. I don't think that the people Jesus was talking to were shepherds. It's interesting that he brings this up. But shepherding was a very common uh, occupation in the culture that Jesus lived in. In fact, in the Bible, shepherds or shepherding are mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. And so it's very common. It'd be like us talking about, I was at the coffee house the other day, and some people don't like coffee, don't go to coffee houses. But you get it because you're like, yeah, people talk about that. So he uses this very common metaphor about sheep. Uh, Over 500 times it's mentioned in the Bible. Jesus many times refers to himself as a shepherd and and people as sheep. In fact, in one story he's called the good shepherd. And so this is is a metaphor here. The deal with sheep is this. They're, well, they're pretty helpless animals, sheep are. Actually, they got a reputation for being kind of dumb. Um, And it's not really fair. I found a website this week called Sheep 101. Yeah, that's a thing. So you can... Learn everything you need to know about sheep. Um, But I read up on that, and it turns out that those people are very offended that people would think that sheep are dumb. Because sheep are not dumb, okay? So stop calling sheep dumb. (laughs) Sorry, I get get excited about things that matter. Um, But here's the thing. Sheep uh, sheep aren't dumb, but they are, by nature, they're flock animals. Uh, They they travel in herds. And so they don't naturally, instinctively have a lot of um, independence. And so they're constantly looking to the herd to see what to do. Which means that if a sheep ever gets separated from its flock, it's left very vulnerable. It's exposed. Uh, Their mentality and their defense mechanism is stick together. There's safety in numbers. And that's how they survive uh, in nature, and it's how they survive even in a setting where where there's a shepherd. Um, We had a dog once. uh, Man, she was an old dog, and and she she ran away. She got away. She was about 13 years old, I think, at the time, Sandy. Uh, a golden retriever. We love Sandy. Like many of you, she was a dog that lived in our house forever, and, you know, she was like part of the family. Sandy, as she got older, she lost some of her senses. She wasn't able to see very good, uh, couldn't hear very well, and she was, like, deathly terrified of thunderstorms. And so one night, there was a thunderstorm in our neighborhood, and, man, lightning strike and thunder rolling, and, man, she freaked out. Uh, She was outside during the storm because she's a dog, and that's where dogs should be during the storm. Um, but so dogs, she was outside, and she freaked out during the storm, and she busted through the gate, and she got out. And she just bolted into the neighborhood. After the storm, we went out to check on her. Gone. And you know what you do. Like, when you lose a dog, you go in the neighborhood. Sandy! Sandy! Here, girl. Here, girl. Because she's totally, like, sitting on the corner, like, I'm not going home until somebody calls me. Like, so, hello! Come in. And it didn't work. We never found her. And then you do the thing, you know, you staple the, the posters all over the neighborhood. It's a lost dog. And everybody's like, huh, that looks like every other golden retriever I've ever seen. But we were certain that it was going to work. We didn't find her. We put an ad in the paper. We didn't find her. Weeks go by. You ever been there? Like, you ever lost an animal? It's just like, and it's, it's hard. And so you're getting worried. And we're worried about her because she's old. She's vulnerable. She doesn't have good sight. She doesn't have uh, good hearing. And we're just certain, like, she's going to get hit by a car. Uh, she's going to end up somewhere and get confused and get stuck and start, whatever. Like, it, w- it was sad. Now, the craziest thing happened. My dad was at the public library. And he gets in there and, uh, I don't know, 
getting a book. I guess that's what he was doing at the library. But while he was there, he heard a librarian talking, and she was telling the story. She's like, yeah, the craziest thing happened. During the storm the other day, this, this beautiful old golden retriever just wandered into our yard. And my dad's like, huh? So he walks around. It was our dog. It was Sandy. Sandy had wandered a long way, like, like almost a mile away from our house. Ended up in this lady's yard, and they'd been taking care of her, and we got her home. And when she got home, there was rejoicing. We were so excited. Our lost dog was home because we were worried because she was vulnerable. She was exposed, and she was able to be safe again. So in Jesus' parable, there's a missing sheep. She's lost. She's separated from the flock. She's vulnerable to predators, and the loving shepherd does what any shepherd apparently would do, and he leaves the 99 behind. Why? They got each other. They're good. They're in their system because he's got to go and seek and save the one that's lost. That's the story. If you've been in church long, you heard the story before, this is when you're like, oh, yeah, I remember this part. Hang on. Don't get ahead of me. Jesus tells two more stories. Remember, this is a metaphor. Jesus is telling a story to a group of Pharisees and teachers who are hating on him because they think he's spending too much time with people that they deem unworthy. And they've challenged him. And so he comes back directly. And this is his direct response. He tells the story, but did you see how he wrapped it up? Let's look at verse 7. He says, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 other righteous persons who do not need to repent. What did I tell you? God loves to celebrate. What is it that gets God's heart ticking? What is it that makes him go, Mm, yeah, woo, touchdown. It's when he sees somebody who is walking away from him come back to him. That word repent, it's a, it's a churchy word, I know, it's a Bible word, and I've taught on it a lot here recently, and in case you missed it, the word repent is an important word. It, it simply means this, that at one point you're heading this direction in your own life, doing what you want to do, many times selfish things, often sinful things. Repentance is the simple act of saying, I'm turning my back on that life, I'm heading to the life that God has for me. That's what repentance is. And it says when someone repents, God throws a party. And he tells a second story. It's funny. He's like, okay, maybe you don't have sheep. I get it. Not everyone has sheep. Let me tell you a second story. Verse 8. Luke 15, verse 8 says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. All right, anybody ever had money? Good. So maybe you never had sheep. This one's about money. Doesn't she, and she loses a coin, doesn't she light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same basic story, right? Have you ever lost something valuable? I mean, I've lost so many things. It is laughable how many things I've lost. This morning, like I played bass this morning, I lost my bass this morning. True story. Like, we're all, when I got here, this room was empty. The cafeteria, we took everything out. I brought a bass guitar in, propped it in a corner somewhere. We get done completely setting up, and I'm like, where is it? Some, I asked a bunch of you guys, like, have you seen it? It's a big, giant, black case. You should see it. It happens to me all the time. It's always the same when I lose stuff. Um, I had it one second, and then the next second, I have no memory. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And people always ask me the dumbest question. Where's the last place you had it? And I'm always like, I looked there. <laughs> I don't know where it was after that. Um, and so I've lost, I mean, I've, I've lost nice sunglasses. I've lost my favorite hats. I've lost, you know, coats. I've lost, I've lost other people's stuff. Sorry. Uh, you know, and so 
And here's the thing. I've got two theories about what's happening with all this stuff. The first theory is the one that you're probably thinking, and it's the one that I'm pretty sure my wife believes, uh, and it is that I might possibly be crazy. I might be senile. That might be the first possible. But I've got another theory that I think it holds more water. Stick with me because I think this is really good, and it might solve your problems too. I believe that for the last uh, almost 34 years, I think that someone's been playing a joke on me. That's what I think. I think that, like, my whole life, people have been taking stuff that they knew I was going to notice, and they're just taking it, and here's their big conspiracy. Uh, when I'm, like, 90 years old, I'm going to be in a nursing home somewhere. Everyone else will have forgotten, and I'll be there, and I, they'll call me, like, Mr. Smith because they won't even remember my name because I can't remember it. And, and this box is going to show up, and it's going to be an unmarked box from UPS, and I'm going to open it up, and all my stuff's going to be in there. And then I'm going to be like, this is my stuff. And they'll be like, yeah, Mr. Smith, very nice. Would you like some pudding? And that's what's going to happen. Um, it's a conspiracy. In fact, I know you're listening. Wherever you are, I want my stuff back. Uh, one of the earliest times I can remember this happening was I think I was in the fourth or fifth grade. And I, I wear glasses. I've got contacts in right now. But I have really bad vision. So I have my glasses on, and it was a snow day. And so I go out in the neighborhood to play with my friends. And, uh, and I'm out there, and, and, and I come home from snow day, and I don't have my glasses anymore. My mom's like, Chris, where are your glasses? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> you would have thought that at some point I was hanging out with my friend Carl, and all of a sudden his face was blurry. Like, you would think <laughs> I would have noticed that my glasses fell off because I'm almost legally blind. But no. I just didn't notice, and so my parents, man, they, 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 like, cared about it a whole lot and stuff. So they made me go out, and we looked everywhere for those glasses. We looked in people's flower beds and trees, bushes, under people's cars. I'm like, they got me looking on the roof. Like, did you climb on that roof? I don't remember which roof I climbed on. Get out there. I'm not joking. They had me look until spring. Like, it was April. They had new glasses. They were like, all right, go look for your glasses. I'm like, I don't want to. I've looked everywhere. Couldn't find, they were trying to teach me responsibility, I know. And it worked, because I've never lost anything since. Um, man, I don't know what was so valuable about the coin that this lady lost. You think, like, you had ten coins, you lost one. Oh, well, <laughs> go get another one. Uh, some scholars believe that it might have been that they were very sentimental coins. Uh, she had ten coins, and, and often a, uh, a young bride would receive ten coins, sometimes worn as a necklace or in her hair. And it would be like a, a ceremonial thing she'd have, and maybe she'd pass it on to her daughter. Or she got it from her grandmother, and it was, it was really important to her. So in losing one, that's a big deal. So when you look at it like that, you're like, okay, it wasn't a dime. It was, another thing is, to call them silver coins, uh, it, it's, it's probable that one of these coins is worth about a day's wage. And so it's, it's fairly valuable. But whatever the case, she's lost this coin, and she is turning her house inside out looking for it. And when she finds it, what does she do? She celebrates. She rejoices. She calls her friends, and she has a party. Remember, this is a metaphor. Jesus is talking to a bunch of teachers and Pharisees who, think, who are upset because they think that the people that he is spending his time with are unworthy. And so he makes his point again. Let's look at it again. Verse 10. He comes right out. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You seeing a trend here? He's telling these two stories, and he's like, guys, get, get up off my back. I'm doing this for a reason. I'm spending time with these people for a reason. Jesus isn't worried about his relationship, uh, how his relationship with these so-called unclean people is affecting the way the other people are looking at him. What Jesus is, is excited about, what he's concerned about is one thing, seeking 
something that is lost and celebrating when he finds it. If there's anything that God's heart gets pumping about, if there's anything that we can know that we're in sync with God's heart, if we can know this one thing, it's the thought of finding something that's lost. And I'm not talking about sheep. And I'm not talking about a coin. And I'm not talking about my glasses. We're talking about people. You know, calling a person a lost person, that seems kind of rude, doesn't it? Like, oh, you're lost. Like, oh, oh, you're found. Okay, well, I'm lost then, but you're found. And, and I get it. I get that. But, but it's a word that we see all throughout the Bible and a concept because I want you to picture it more like this. There's this visual that happens. That God has created us and he has provided a path that he wants us to be on. He wants us to live a certain way, act a certain way. So picture that thing like a path. And have you ever been going somewhere to someone's house and you, you missed a turn or you took a wrong exit? What are you? You're lost. And so every time someone misses a turn or takes an exit, or, or if it's like me, I in, intentionally try to take some shortcuts or go the wrong way sometimes. What I find is without God, I'm lost. And so for Jesus to talk about people as lost, it's true. Maybe this has been you. Maybe you've been going your own way. You've done it in the past. Maybe you're just there for a little bit right now. Maybe you, you're just it's your first time in church, and, and you're like, I, I, I kind of get what you're talking about. I've been there. And this is what I've learned. Without God, I'm aimless. I'm lost. And I try to find other things to get my life what we call on path or, or you know, headed in the right direction. But unless I'm heading towards God and with God, I'm confused I'm disoriented, and I'm going the wrong way. Maybe you feel lost. Maybe you know you're lost. Maybe you're just leaning in a little bit right now because you're like, this makes sense to me. Whatever the case, what I want you to know is this. Jesus makes time for lost people. All the time. And Jesus spends time with them to the point that it makes religious people upset. He said, I have got all the time in the world for people who need to get back on the path for me. I, I really don't have a lot of time for people who think they're perfect. But I got all the time in the world for people who know that they're not. Maybe what you need to hear today is that God loves you. He loves you. Like no matter where you've been, no matter what your background, no matter your baggage, God, God loves you. And he's been looking for you. And I want us to understand this one thing. We don't find God. God finds us. And, and I, I got to make sure that I say this because I got to tell you, I, I love our church. I love you guys. I love I, um, <laughs> when I think it was Patrick said something about Rob in the back talking about the men's breakfast. And he said, go to the guy with the, the guns with nuns shirt on. And I'm like, I love our church. Someone on stage just said, go to the guy with the guns with nuns shirt or nuns with guns shirt. I'm like, and I love, I love our culture. I love who we are. And I've heard you guys, some of you say, I've said it myself, like, I'm so glad that I found this community. I'm so glad that I found God through here. Let's understand something. We don't find God. He finds us. He puts people in your life who he's primed, ready to lead you to him. He's brought this group of people together so that we together could see that God has been looking for us all along. We don't find God. He finds us. And maybe he's already found you. Maybe for a long time you've been living for God. Here's the thing that I've learned, because that's me, 
it's real easy to get comfortable in that foundness. Like, it's real easy to get comfortable right there and be like, and forget what it was like before God was in my life. Guys, we've got to remember something. If we want our hearts to beat with the, the heart of God, we need to be on the same mission that God is on. A few chapters later in the book of Luke, we've been reading in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus gives us his mission. And it's pretty powerful, and it's one sentence. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, you can flip over there. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Jesus is talking about himself here. He says, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come for us all to be perfect and and all put together and shiny and have our stuff together. He came to say, I know you don't. Let me help you. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is trying to tell his religious leaders, like, look, these people, the people that you call unclean, they're lost. And my mission is to find them. And I'm not here to babysit you. You you keep your self-righteousness. I'm here to find people who are looking for me. And I'm looking for them. Jesus is talking about sheep. He's talking about coins. He's not done yet. Uh, He tells one more story. I'm going to kind of wrap up with it. It's probably the most famous story that Jesus has ever told, one of the, one of the top few famous stories that, that Jesus told, that even people who uh, haven't read the Bible ha- have heard parts of this story. And he starts in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, with his third story. He goes, okay, let me give you one more story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, will you give me my share of the inheritance or my estate? And so the father divided his property between his sons. Now, that's a very short opener, and it's a long story, so I'm not going to read every verse of it. But let me take a second on this this moment. There's a son who goes to his father and asks for his inheritance. Now, my son does that kind of stuff to me sometimes. Like, I got some knives and stuff that he likes and some other things. Like, Dad, can I inherit that one day? I'm like, you realize what you're saying? Like, not today, I hope. Um, But I'm not offended by it. But you got to understand, in this area of the Middle East where Jesus is teaching, to, to approach your father with this sentence was nothing short of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my part of the inheritance. It was unthinkable. The audience that would have been listening in on Jesus right here would have been like, he said what? What an ungrateful son. Why would he ever say that? Because he's saying essentially, Father, I wish you were dead. Just give me the money. That's all I really care about. This is a culture that's based largely in family, largely in respecting your eldership. So the message is clear. The son comes to him and he says, Dad, I want to go a different path than, than I'm on with you. I want to do my own thing. So he does. I, I want to summarize some of the rest of the story. He gets this money. It ends up being, uh, based on culture at that time, a lot of times they would do up to two-thirds of his entire wealth. Parents, real quick, sec- everyone actually, anyone who has any wealth. Imagine if you suddenly had to give away two-thirds of all of your wealth. Everything. A lot of us wouldn't be left with much. Okay, this is what happens to this guy. He takes this wealth, and he goes off, and he, he does what uh, the story is traditionally called the prodigal son. The word prodigal means extravagant or wasteful. And so what this guy does is he goes out, he takes all this money, he goes to the big city, and he just starts to blow it. He starts to have wild parties. I mean, you think of it, girls, drugs, alcohol. I'm imagining the whole thing. Think Las Vegas on steroids. He goes and he goes and he goes and he goes. He amasses some friends. It's great, okay, until something happens. Imagine this, okay. One day, the money runs out. It's gone. And when the money runs out, the fun runs out. And when the fun runs out, 
the friends run out, literally, and this guy is left all by himself with nothing. Now, you see the hole he's dug for himself? Where's he going to go? He can't go home. He slapped his dad in the face and said, I wish you were dead. So he takes a job as a farmhand, and he and he's, starts feeding pigs. And I guess he's not even getting paid well enough there to feed himself because it says in the story that there, there comes a day where he's so hungry that he just longs to eat the slop that he's feeding to the pigs. And you, you're at rock bottom when that happens. I just got to ask you a question. Where do you go when you hit rock bottom? This guy's at rock bottom. And while he's there, he has this revelation. Verse, 15, verse 17 of chapter 15, Luke 15, 17 says this. And when he came to his senses, can we pause there? When he came to his senses, this guy had lost his mind. <laughs> so when he came to his senses, he said, hold on. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. As Jesus is telling this story, you can just see his audience squirming in their seat. Like, he's going to go home? Oh, man, he's in for a beating. Like, I'll be surprised if he makes it onto the property. Chapter 20 says he got up. He went to his father. Let me ask you a question. Where do you go when you hit rock bottom? This guy decides to go back to his father. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him, and he said, and his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Remember, it's a metaphor. Jesus is talking to a bunch of teachers and Pharisees who are upset at him because they think he's spending too much time with people that they believe are unworthy. Jesus says, lost people are worth all my time. All my time. Why? Because they're my children. God is a loving father. And when we mess up, is he disappointed? Yes. Will there be discipline? Yes, but where does he want you to run? He says, come home. Come home. I've got time for you. Because when just one person gets back on track with me, I'm going to pull out all the stops. I'm going to party like it's 1999. God celebrates. He celebrates you when you turn your heart to him. If that's what you need to do, I mean, maybe you've been walking on this path like kind of parallel to God for a little while. You've been coming to church for a little while. You've been coming with your friend, your family member. And Have you ever taken the second to say, God, I, I just want to come home. 
I want to see what it means to have my arms wrapped around you and have your arms wrapped around me and know what it really means to be forgiven. I'm sorry. God will party. In fact, if that's you today, I want you to please come and speak to me before you leave today. We actually don't, one of the things that we, we don't do here, we don't do a, a moment where people come forward and we make you kind of take the limelight or awkwardly walk forward because that's not something we see in the Bible. We, we don't see an altar call or anything like that. But what we do see is one-on-one conversations where someone goes, what does it look like for me to get back to God? And another person who knows the way to say, let me show you. So if you want to talk, come talk to me. Talk to the person that you came with. Talk to anyone here today and if they don't know, they'll be like, I, I don't know, maybe we should both go talk. I don't know. Maybe you're just here for first or second time, or you're just kind of figuring out where you want to be. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Just keep hanging out with us. I believe that God loves you, and he's got time for you. I'm curious if you can make some more time for him. Stick around for the rest of this Christmas season. Come back in January. See what it means for God to celebrate you. If you want your heart to be in sync with his, check your vital signs. Guys, as a church, we've got to be a church that is passionate about seeking and saving that which is lost. We've got a slogan that's on banners, it's on our little invite cards. It says, church for people who don't like her church. And that's not a gimmick. That's not something that we're going to be like, maybe we can just trick people to come in here. No, I want to be a church, a group of people who you, you don't have to worry about your background or your baggage. You don't have to check that at the door. You can bring all your questions, all your doubts, all your fears right here into this community, and we can deal with it together. And maybe you've got friends who are like, I will not step foot into the door of a church. You can say, well, well, come with me. Our goal is to go to the God who's got time for you because he wants to celebrate your life. Join the mission to seek and save the lost. Help people find their way back to God. Build relationships with them and show people what God has done to transform your life. And one life at a time, God will celebrate. I want to pray for us this morning. God, thanks for finding me. Um, so often I just kind of do my own thing and, you, and, you, and you, you get my attention through friends, you get my attention through my family, you get my attention just some, sometimes when I'm just reading your Bible and thinking I'm just doing good things and all of a sudden I read something that's like, oh wait, I just need to listen to that. Don't worry about teaching somebody else. I need to learn myself. Lord, thanks for finding the rest of us, so many of us in this room who have said we, we want to chase you with our life. Lord, help us take inventory of our spiritual vital signs. Lord, may our heart beat in sync and in rhythm with yours. That we are compassionate towards people. That we are loving children like you love children. That we are loving this community and shining light into dark places. And that we're making time for people who might feel lost or who are lost. God, you are good. Lord, I pray that you just go ahead and set up some decorations. Because I believe that right here in this room this morning, there's going to be some celebrating to do. That somebody in their seat right now is just saying, I, I just need to turn my heart back to you. And maybe it's the first time, and maybe it's just a real, little course correction. The GPS is saying, recalculating. <laughs> May we turn our heads and our hearts back to you every day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.